that was really, really wonderful uh, music, really warmed my heart. I hear some reverb. Are we just working that out? Yeah, good. Um, it's been three months since we were last here. The summer has come, and for all purposes, the summer has gone. And uh, it's now almost like back to work, isn't it? And uh, a lot has happened in our lives. Uh, we've had a lot of experiences and occurrences over the course of the summer. And uh, when we come to you, it's just a real joy, it's a real delight, and it's a real privilege. And I hope today to be able to bring to you a text of Scripture that I really hope will just encourage your hearts. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We will look at a wonderful passage uh, where the Lord heals a leper. A leper. Well, if you've made your way to Matthew chapter 8, let me just read for you these verses here. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And we'll just stop right there. Now, for those of you who might not know, uh, leprosy is a skin disease. We don't see much of it in our current day. Um, but most folks know of it if you've watched movies, uh, if you've kind of come across a variety of oh, I guess, cultural things, you've heard of leprosy, you understand that it's a, a skin disease. What you might not know is if you were in ancient Israel, like the passage that we're looking at, and you were a Jew, like this leper is, you were required by God's law to do three things if you had leprosy. You had to wear publicly visible torn clothing, like people do nowadays, especially on the legs and stuff like that. And then you also had to let your hair just grow scraggly and you weren't allowed to comb it and, and take care of it so that you looked strange. And then thirdly, you had to cover your mouth whenever you got around people and cry out the words, listen very carefully, unclean, unclean. So that everybody would know that if they got close enough to you, they themselves would also become unclean. It did not matter that doing such things increased the humiliation of the leper. It warned everyone else to stay away. And the point behind all of that was to learn that you cannot approach a holy God with hidden sins. That was the whole point behind all that a leper had to do. Now the law, God's law was inflexible on this matter. And on the surface, it, without, without, without any mercy for the leper. There was only mercy for everybody else, but not the actual one who was afflicted with the disease. Even though the law had provisions on how to obtain restitution with both God and society. Now, we don't really have leprosy much 
anymore. It's very real. But I think all of us can sympathize with the leper's shame. For it mirrors our own experience with sin. The second worst thing that can happen with our sin is being caught in the act and having it made public. A couple weeks ago, a pastor down in Louisiana committed suicide because his name showed up on the, was it Ashley Madison or Dolly Madison? I always get them confused. One, one makes cakes on the website that had been hacked and the information had been known. I know, one makes ringdings and stuff like that. And because of the public humiliation, though he had wife and little children, due to provocation of the deep shame that he went through, uh, the man left a note, and to everybody's shock, including those at the seminary that he taught at, New Orleans Baptist, he committed suicide. Just a, an illustration for you of the depth of which public humiliation drives people like you and I. Great, great sadness. Now, I truly wish the man had based his social thinking on Christ and dying on the cross for him and his resurrection and had taken his identity from that rather than his own made-up righteousness. But he didn't. And, and, and certainly, we're, all of us are complex enough to to say one thing, but down deep feel something quite different, right? And I think we can all identify with the reality that shame is pain. And, and, and if we lived in a world in which internally within us, psychologically, things were right, every time we sinned, we would feel pain. But we don't. In fact, a lot of times... Uh, we feel a pretty significant amount of gratification with sin, which is wrong, but that's often the way it is for every single one of us in this room. But that's the second worst thing that can happen with our sin, being caught publicly, being exposed publicly for what we really are. Uh, but the worst thing that can happen with our sin is not being caught with it. And being allowed to just go on doing it and then dying and standing before God with our sin still unforgiven and then suffer His eternal punishment for it. So it's far better actually for it to be exposed and for us to suffer in this world the, oh, the intensity of the shame and the pain of it than it is for it to whatever mechanism is used to cover it, manipulate it, push it out of the way, dress it up, or like our culture does, justify it and legalize it in so many different ways that the world you're living in. Think about it. The Bible you hold in your lap or on the bench next to you is filled with stories of men and women getting caught in their sins publicly. Abraham, Adam, David. Peter, and, and they're written down for us to connect to and to warn us of the dangers of hidden sin being made public and of not dealing with our very intense private sin. 
And it just shows us that this holy, precious book that you have is like unlike any other book ever written in that it deals with the most significant, intimate issues of our life, our souls, as we have them. It deals with the spiritual issues like guilt and shame and suffering and pain. And in four very large books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it presents to you a central figure in human history, Jesus Christ, who came to alleviate the pain and the shame of sin and does so with people. And so certainly our count this morning is going to relate very much to that. And it takes away human sin and shame, and it replaces it in us by faith in Christ with something the Bible calls cleansing. Not only a theological fact to be written on the walls of of your heart, but also an experience, a feeling of cleansing. If you're anything like me, you enjoy taking a shower once a day. Maybe even more. Because you love the feeling of being cleansed and you just get weirded out by the feeling of not being clean, right? So you identify with cleansing of the body. And of course, so much more significant is the cleansing of our inner person. Far more substantial, far more significant, far more blessed, feels great, And it's so necessary on such a more important level than our bodies being cleansed. I want you to look at verse 3 with me, please. And I want you to observe the way that Jesus relates to this leper. Would you notice, please, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He did the unthinkable, stretching out his hand to a leper and touching him. People avoid lepers. That's what people do. And they quarantine them off. And for the Jew, touching a leper or going into where he lived made you unclean. And possibly now the carrier of a contagious disease that if other people got around you made them not only unclean but possibly sick unto death with this physical malady called leprosy. All the ancient civilizations feared leprosy. It was an incurable, mutilating, and contagious disease. But most likely, no one in this room has actually met a leper, unless you've traveled abroad extensively, and especially into third world countries. Today in the world, about 180,000 people are infected with leprosy. Most are in Africa. Pretty much most of the others are in Asia. About 200 people in the United States every year are diagnosed as having leprosy. It is an infection caused by a bacteria. It was discovered by a doctor named Hansen about 130 years ago. And ever since, it has been called Hansen's disease because by calling someone 
a leper or having leprosy is such an extreme social stigma. It's like the N-word. It, it, it categorizes someone. It puts them in a, a box of shame. So today, if you're going to talk about it politely, it's Hansen's disease. But we'll go with the biblical term here, leprosy, not out of any disrespect, but because we want to understand the social shame that's attached to it and the also spiritual issues that are attached to it. Now, today, you simply take an antibiotic, and if you maintain your course in the antibiotics, your leprosy is cured. So in terms of just numbers, it's a rare disease nowadays. An early diagnosis and treatment usually prevents any of the associated disabilities related to this disease. Now, the placement here in Matthew chapter 8 by Matthew of the story of a man afflicted with social shame and an incurable disease, notice it comes after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Think of it this way. Your Lord has just spent three massive chapters describing His teaching on what it is to live the cleansed life, to be forgiven by God, to walk in holiness. And what's the first thing that Matthew next gives you to relate to your soul after all that great teaching? And that is the story of a man who is, of all things, a leper. A leper. All of this is to put us into the frame of mind to understand that Jesus Christ doesn't merely come to teach, he comes to act. And his teachings are actually demonstrations of compassion, but he doesn't love in word only, but he also loves in deed and truth. So to this morning, we have a few minutes together. I was told I only have two hours. Under four headings, we're going to look at, at Jesus. So here's the first heading for those of you who are taking notes on that wonderfully supplied piece of paper in your bulletin this morning. First heading, Jesus and popularity. And that's just verse 1. Jesus and popularity. Go with me, please, back to verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Now, in the world of religion, there is no greater authority for a religious teacher to have large crowds downloading his sermons or hanging on his every word. But even better, here in verse 1, they are following him. They are literally going around following him. But it is the mix of this crowd that is the significant thing here. Did you notice that word, large crowds? Well, go back to the prior verse. You see it there, Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished teaching these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. There were crowds listening, and now these crowds who have heard his wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount are now following him. Go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, all the way back to chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds. But as I said to you, what's interesting here and what's important for you to catch is that the, the mix of the crowds. So I want you to go back just a couple more verses to Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, and this is important. Matthew 4, 24. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, 
those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Here's our phrase, large crowds, verse 25. Large crowds followed him from Galilee. Okay, that's mostly Jews. Decapolis, that's mostly Gentiles. Jerusalem and Judea, that's mostly Jews. And from beyond the Jordan, that's mostly Gentiles. What you have is a Jewish teacher attracting not just Jews, but a significant number of Gentiles as well. So when the Sermon on the Mount comes, the crowds of mixture of Jew and Gentile are all interspersed there on the hill. The disciples come and they sit down in front of Jesus, but there are large crowds listening in, kids running all around, chasing butterflies, everything going on, dogs barking, birds flying overhead, Now that's going on while Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, but they're all listening in. And they're astounded, it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the word that he spoke, because he spoke with one having authority, not as one of the scribes. And so now we come to this section here, and we see that Jesus and his popularity is as extensive as it's going to be. But it's not just Jewish popularity, it's Gentile popularity. Why is this important? Well... The rabbis taught that Jews, just by being around Gentiles, often were made unclean. So you made a significant decision, if you were Jewish, to follow Jesus around and to listen to his teachings, that you would likely contract uncleanness. And so there was a danger in following Jesus around, a religious danger that you could become the kind of person who was unclean, meaning you were not welcome to worship God. You were maybe not even welcome to enter into your home because you might make everybody else unclean. So there's the Jewish Gentile social stigma issue of two groups of people that really don't hang together, who are hanging together listening to Jesus Christ. That's his popularity. Let's move on to verse 2 where our header is Jesus and a leper thought long and hard about these headers. Verse 2, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. According to Luke's gospel, this man has stage four leprosy. Luke's gospel says, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. When we look at Leviticus chapter 13 next Sunday, we'll see that that is an important technical term for understanding the pathology of leprosy, that is, the course of the disease. What you learn then is that this is a man who has had leprosy for a long time. And because he's had it for a long time, he's been covering it up for a long time with makeup on his face. And then as it spreads to the to the extremities, he covers it up with clothing. And you begin to wear stuff over your head and over your face more and more so that people can't see it. But the leprosy keeps on growing. It keeps on taking more of you. Until finally you can't cover it up anymore. And now this man is out of options. Maybe even as a last resort. Because he's been trying to cover up his leprosy for all these probable years. You'll notice in verse 2, he calls Jesus what? Lord. Now, Jesus 
based on what is the teaching there back in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, would have instantly recognized this man as having been in stage four leprosy. And Jesus would have understood, based on what's back in those passages, on the right way to handle this situation from a Mosaic law perspective, from a God's law perspective. You might want to know something about leprosy, because we really don't have it in our culture. Leprosy begins, actually, with pain uh, in certain parts of the body, which afterward turn to numbness. The infection attacks the nervous system and begins to make certain parts go numb after they become very painful. And then the skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, lose color and they often become bright white. Maybe you've seen pictures like National Geographic or TV or something. And then they turn splotchy. And then scaly. In fact, the Greek word for leper is the word for scale. And the Old Testament word for leprosy is also the word scale. So scaly skin. It eventually becomes hard, flake-like skin. And then it, it shows itself as hard pustules on the face. They look like warts, but they kind of grow on top of one another. They grow specifically around the lips and around the nose. And as the disease continues, the spots open up and they become sores or ulcers, which is why long clothing is worn in order to let people not see them after the makeup can no longer cover what's going on on the face. Fingers and toes are often lost due to injury or decay. Eyebrows and eyelashes fall off. And the leper emits a foul odor everywhere he is. Typically, leprosy affects the larynx so that the leper speaks with a hoarse, grating voice, not even pleasant to listen to. In other words... Everything about a leper is painful for everybody else. Smell, hearing, sight. Some have even claimed over time that leprosy isn't contagious, but the facts are incontrovertible that it is contagious. Once it's introduced into a community, it always spreads. And that's another way, by the way, that leprosy is like sin. Once introduced into a community and not... Dealt with, it always spreads. In the Old Testament, God commanded lepers had to live outside the camp, away from the people. Leviticus 13, 46, He shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. It was both a punishment for the leper and a protection for everybody else. And now we begin to connect leprosy with something that's invisible and can't be seen, but what Scripture wants us to connect it to, and that is sin. Sin. Like sin, leprosy at first can be covered up. But eventually, sin takes over. And, and it isolates. It, 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 it takes more of your soul. It isolates you from people. It isolates you from God. Like leprosy, sin is a power inside your life. It's not something you can contain. What might today be anger inside you can a year from now be murder. It has its own life. It has its own power. 
Just like leprosy continues to take more and more until you are fully leprosized, which is where this man is in our story. So this is obviously something where this leper has to be removed from society and eventually sin causes people to remove themselves from the society of the righteous. You can't stand being around the righteous. They hate it, even though they themselves could possibly be regenerate. It's just too painful because the sin has so dominated the heart, the life. One time they could do it, but it's grown, it's fouled, it's festered, and now they're separated. They stay apart from friends. They stay apart from family. They offer false excuses. And then often what happens is eventually the sin is found out. The adultery becomes known. The website gets hacked. Uh, Or circumstances happen. How he knows not, but they do. And the sin is outed and everyone knows. Just like leprosy. Really very difficult. And once it's outed, and once the leprosy is out, the leper is commanded to stay away from everybody else. And so too, the sinner whose sin is out is separated by the power of sin from everybody else. And he remains by himself in his own world. And of course, he's also being separated from God, his relationship with God. Now we can tell uh, one other thing here in verse 2 about the leper. According to Matthew's words, he was repeatedly bowing down before Christ, the imperfect tense. So, in other words, think of this. Think of the leper, especially in that Eastern fashion, of putting his hands together and then bowing repeatedly at the waist in front of Jesus. And it's an ultra-humble way to approach. Luke's gospel even says that he fell on his face. So you find out then that this is a humbled man who's Sin has found him out. His, his leprosy representation of his sin has found him out. After hiding it, after covering it, probably for years, it's now out. He's full of leprosy. And, and, and that's just the same thing as being full of sin. And now he's finally suffered enough. Now he's finally broken. It's not what he wills, but what Jesus wills. Notice what he says in verse 2. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I would suggest to you that he hasn't ever been at that point in his life before. It took until his leprosy was fully in control of his life. Before he was willing to say, if you are willing. And so my pleading with you today is not to be like a leper who covers it up with makeup and clothing and wait until it's at the greatest extremity before you reach out for help. You are blessed with two pastors in your church, men and their wives who have given up everything for the gospel, everything, in order to come and serve you who have words of wisdom, counsel, to help you not go to this place. As a pastor for 20 years, I can tell you from experience that it's rare that a married couple ever reaches out to me for help until they start talking about divorce. 
and the D word is out there. And so I know by the time I get involved, they've already gone down a pretty dark road and they're pretty far down that road. And for them, they don't see any way out and they're throwing a lifeline. Maybe he can help, probably not. He probably doesn't understand, but maybe he can help. And of course, with scripture and prayer and with some real good application of holy scripture and a real recognition of the gospel, then marriages are, are frequently turned around as hope is presented and as they see the Lord's way, they kind of get out of themselves. But I plead with you not to be that way, to take a, to take a lesson from the leper here and recognize this actually is the way of sin in your heart and sin in my heart. It's to hide it, it's to cover it, fig leaves, activities, all kinds of things, religiosity, video gameology, everything in this life but golf, is what I would say. Just kidding. See, so it really took full-on leprosy to get this man to see what he really was. And the social shame of leprosy was a huge part of it. That is what you want to avoid. We do our sins in darkness because men hate the light. We don't want to be caught doing what we do. And, and we are by nature coverers of our sins. Every one of us in this room. And so the social shame of leprosy is being caught with sin. An excruciating issue. Remember the woman caught in adultery? And Jesus says to her, what? Go and sin no more. But he treats her with great mercy. But the humility of it, being dragged out into the public square with all these men ready to stone her. Who in this room identifies with her? And I hope... None of us in this room identify with the men picking up stones. The legalists tend to find their way and lose heart of compassion for what sin does to people. One rabbi who lacked compassion told his Jews that they should not come within even 150 feet of a leper lest you be caught downwind and you become defiled. Obviously, none of those were of this large group following Jesus. And a whole raft of rabbis taught that leprosy was always God's punishment for undisclosed sins. You know, that, that, that mechanistic view of life. Oh, something bad happened to you. You're in, caught in shame. Therefore, you've done sin. I don't know what it is, but I know how it works. You've obviously done wrong. So wrong, so hurtful. In fact, by rabbis declaring that, they only added to the intensity of the leper's sins and estrangement from the solution to his sin, of which was spelled out in Leviticus 13 and 14. So it was actually worse the way that the rabbis took care of this thing. One doctor who has devoted his entire medical career to treating lepers wrote this. There is one fact that makes leprosy different than all other diseases, and that is the social stigma connected to it. This mark of infamy or disgrace sets its victims apart from all other people. 
I have found this universally true as I have traveled around the world, ferreting out those unfortunate ones from their hiding places. Everywhere, the social stigma of leprosy is the same. Dr. Kellersberger, worldwide renowned authority on leprosy. It is massively true. Lepers cannot hold jobs. They get fired. Spouses leave them. Children are disgusted by them. They lose everything in this world. That's who this man is. Without Matthew having to write it all out, that's who this man is. He's full of leprosy and he's come to Jesus. So it was no small thing for this isolated leper to come out into a city where Jesus is. One of the Gospels says this was occurring in a, in a city. Would this powerful man that he came before, full of religious popularity, even speak to him? There was implied threat. The man he spoke to could be like a rabbi and say, I'm unclean. Be away from me and have his disciples whisk the man away so he doesn't even have to deal with him. But what do you believe Jesus will do for you and your spiritual leprosy? You think that he would be repulsed by you in your struggles with indwelling sin? You think that he's tired of you maybe? Kind of disgusted, repulsed? Finds out who you actually are and so is simply tolerating you. Well, the leper is your substitute this morning. The way the Lord treats him is the Lord the way, treats, the, way the Lord treats you. Is he going to just pass you by and go on to important religious matters? Preaching other sermons? Is he going to tell you that the reason why you have leprosy is because of your own sin and so you made your own choices now you made your own bed now you got to lie in it or does he actually care and can he provide true alleviation by cleansing you well listen when the leper calls jesus lord here in verse two that shows a reality and a sincerity doesn't it that's the word of trust that's the word of faith recognizes Jesus for who he is. It's not just saying, hey, I'm just trying to be respectful to you. It's a term that's important. It tells you that the leper will do what Jesus tells him. Lord, and that immediately implies I'm not. And then the leper also acknowledges Jesus' power to cleanse. Look at this in verse 2. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now let me back up a little bit just to make this clear what he's asking for. The power to heal leprosy was a display of God's kingdom on earth. When Jesus gave 70 men power over in Matthew chapter 10, he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. When John the Baptist had his moment of doubt, when he's in prison awaiting his execution, he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, are you the coming one, or should we look for another? And Jesus, part of Jesus' answer to John the Baptist, back through John the Baptist's disciples, is this. 
Tell John the Baptist that the blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. You have to understand, before the discovery of antibiotics, leprosy was never cured and the only situations where it was ever cured was God's miraculous intervention in life. The disease of leprosy was only ever cured miraculously. For example, Naaman, the famous Syrian general, got healed of leprosy miraculously. You might remember he had a little slave girl who was an Israelite, and he was trying all kinds of means and mechanisms to heal himself of his leprosy. The little girl said, oh, you should go see Elisha. He'll heal you of your leprosy. Yeah, yeah, kid. He had tried everything. He was out of treatment options. He's like the leper. I'll do everything I can until I try God's way. (laughs) That's the way we are. And so finally, he tells the king of Syria. This is what he tells him. He goes, you know, I got to go. The little girl told me I should go wash myself. I should go see the, excuse me, I should go see the, the man of God in Israel. That's their enemy. But he's telling the king of Israel, can you help me how to heal my, my leprosy? And the king of Syria gets frustrated. And this is what the king of Syria says. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? I can't heal leprosy. Only God can heal leprosy. Fact is, only God cured leprosy back in those days. God afflicted some people with leprosy because he wanted to teach everybody else who is spiritually dull, which means everybody else, about the awareness of sin. How do you take something invisible, sin, with all of its strange properties and make a visible picture of it? And the answer is leprosy. And only God heals from sin, just as back then only God healed from leprosy. There was no self-control that you could exert, dietary self-control, if you wanted to stop having leprosy. There was no program that you could adopt, no 10-step program or anything else to get you out of leprosy, just as there is no program you can adopt to get you out of sin. But God, through the power of of the gospel can and will heal you from all sin. And this is the great power of righteousness in your life is as you come to God as the sinner you are, as the spiritual leper you and I are, we come to God through the cross where his best, his son, dies most willingly a sacrificial atoning death. And by that, we are cleansed, we are forgiven. And we can obtain our righteousness and our joy and our peace in this life, not from our performance and not from our perfection, but from His and all that He did. It's the great joy of the gospel. Notice, would you please, what the leper asks for. He doesn't ask, would you please make me better? He doesn't say, would you please heal me? This actually shows that the leper understood what leprosy stood for. He actually asks for cleansing. He doesn't call what he has a sickness. He doesn't call it an infection. He asks for something far, far more important than physical healing of his leprosy. He asked for cleansing. And cleansing in this context means I want to come back and have fellowship with God and I want to come back and have fellowship with men. He doesn't ask for the lesser benefit He asks for the greatest and most important benefit, which shows he understands what his leprosy represents. 
Cleansing is a term used for the removal of our sin before a holy God. Cleansing is not a term that's used in connection with being physically healed from leprosy. So this is a man who actually understands the trouble he's in. And so too, when you with your issues go to God and you merely plead to be fixed or you merely plead for God to get you out of the trouble, the circumstances that you come into, as important as that is, God wants you first to agree with his diagnosis of your situation and to come to him and be cleansed. To obtain cleansing before him at the foot of the cross in prayer and, beloved, based on the promise of God, you receive it. And then you receive all the inner motivations by which to put off sin. Well, do you know Jesus? He's going he's to cleanse the guy, isn't he? So let's move on to heading number three, Jesus and grace. Look at verse three with me. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now this is the grace of God at work here, to take a leper and to do something truly great for him. From this moment on, he will be able to render worship that is acceptable to the Lord. How compassionate is Jesus? Well, antibiotics could have got rid of the infection, but they could never heal the disfigurement to the man's entire body. But this particular cleansing right here is not merely the eradication of the leprosy bacteria within the man, it is also the removal of all the physical effects of the man's leprosy so that his skin in entirety is entirely perfect after this. Jesus instantly removed every facial defect, every pustule, every white splotch. Hey, it had to be that way. If not, when Jesus says in the next verse for the man to go to the priest and to get, ask for the cleansing by the sacrifice, the recognition of the cleansing, the priest could not have recognized that the man was cleansed from leprosy unless his skin was perfectly clear. So therefore, what you have in these verses is Jesus, when he says, I will cleanse you, he not only cleanses the man, but he also does a perfecting work in his body, representative of what the resurrection will do for all of us. This is grace. This is power. And notice Jesus' power here is carried by his spoken word, I am willing, be cleansed. The spoken word heals. Christ's words spoken into the air purify leprosy and cure the man's skin. Mark's gospel puts it this way. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And I bet you've wondered about that. He stretched out his hand and touched him. By doing so, according to Leviticus chapter 5, verse 3, technically Jesus broke God's law. Matthew 5, 3 says this, excuse me, Leviticus 5, 3 says this, if anyone touches human uncleanness of whatever sort his uncleanness may be with which he becomes unclean, he will be guilty. By touching the leper, Jesus made himself legally guilty in the eyes of the law. He was now defiled with the effects of sin. But 
Instead of contracting to himself the leper's guilt, the leper's uncleanness, the leper's condemnation and contamination, all representative of sin, Jesus transfers over to the leper his own purity and cleanses the unclean. Just as Jesus transfers the grace of his love and his compassion and his power into the life of every person who comes to him repentantly, but of a far more significant matter than merely leprosy, the issue of sin. He gives to this man the grace of forgiveness. He gives the power of the new man in the heart that loves the law. And he restores this man to a community of like-minded people who have experienced God's grace. In other words, Jesus gives this man entrance into the new covenant, just as he does with every one of us who comes to him as he requests, as he requires. Forgiveness of all sin, power of the new man in the heart, in a community of like-minded people who have experienced God's grace. Someone greater than Moses was there. Someone greater than Muhammad. Someone greater than Buddha. Someone greater than all others. In Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have salvation from sin. In Christ, we have indwelling power by which to fight successfully against the sins that are in our flesh and deeply embedded therein. So to go on covering up sin with makeup and long sleeves is to really reject the love of God in Christ. And if that's what you've been doing, then you, like the leper, must say to Jesus Christ, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And if you know yourself to be the leper you are, you'll mean it. And Christ will touch you and he will restore you so that you can worship a holy God and you can go to him with a clear conscience and you can be restored to the community of the righteous and worship a holy God with holy people. It's the most significant need of our lives. Let me move on. I'd like to park it there for a while. Well, we talked about Jesus and his popularity and then we moved on. We talked about Jesus and the leper. Now we just talked about Jesus and grace such a power. Let's just do lastly, Jesus and Mosaic testimony. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now it might sound simple to us reading this quickly, that this was rather a simple matter. Just go down, get a priest, make an offering. But that wasn't what it was. It was actually an elaborate process of three different sacrifices lasting over two weeks with all kinds of social restrictions during those two weeks. It was very humiliating. During that time, the leper was isolated from all people in large measures, and then as each successive sacrifice and each successive, successive determination by a priest said, you're clear, you're clear, you're clear, more and more people. It was actually a process. And, and he went through this highly detailed list of, of ablutions, which are washings and priestly administrations all of which were to show the Lord's wrath against the leper required propitiation, dead 
animals, dead life. Something killed to represent cleansing, forgiveness based on death. All of that would have been understood by these people. And only after all of that could the priest pronounce him clean, but never before that. The reason it was such a lengthy and elaborate process is because leprosy physically represents the spiritual reality that sin is detestable to God. He has no fellowship with it. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. I'm so glad. He has no fellowship with sin that I commit whether I do it in a manner that makes it look righteous or whether I do it in a manner in which I'm caught on a public website. It's actually no different to him. He has no fellowship with darkness. This gets to the heart of the matter. It requires propitiation. God has to be appeased for his wrath and anger were against this man's sins. Listen, this is important. For Jesus to command the leper's cleansing, as he did in verse 3, he says it right there in verse 3, I am willing, be cleansed, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. For Jesus to say those words shows that Jesus regarded himself as this man's propitiatory sacrifice. Jesus regarded himself as the death of life that would have to be required for this man to be cleansed of his leprosy. So Jesus actually takes over in verse 3 the role of a Levitical priest who was to declare clean or unclean. Jesus takes it over and he says clean. The priest isn't going to actually make the actual determination. It's already been determined by the greater priest, Jesus Christ. And he's acting not only as a Levitical priest in the sense of declaring what has formerly been unclean now to be clean, or to say it in other words, whatever has formerly been unforgiven to now be forgiven, but he's also declaring himself to be the full and entitled two-week elaborate process a propitiatory sacrifice of ablutions and all the other matters of priestly administrations that were required to have this man get forgiven and cleansed. Which means, boiling it all down, if you're still following this, that Jesus himself sees himself as the fulfillment to which the Mosaic law points. He provides a permanent cleansing from sin by his one-time sacrifice. Oh, if there's one truth that we who are by nature sin hiders and coverers up need to know in the secret place before God is that there has been a one-time sacrifice of grace and mercy and love on our behalf made by one as good as this on our behalf so that we may be entirely forgiven by God. And that, beloved, is critical to us trusting in God's goodness that despite the extent of our leprosy, whether we feel it or not, it is forgiven for Jesus' sake. And then you see there is this priority in Jesus' instructions. Let's finish with this. It's this, the priority, God first and people second. Look what Jesus tells the man to do. Go, show, or actually he started, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering. In other words, 
Seek God first, worship God first, and then go tell people later. That's the point. It's not about getting in front of people and being able to tell them. It's about getting to worship God first, the holy God, the righteous God, the true God, and having open and and acceptable access to Him. And that's exactly what Jesus has the man do because they are under the Mosaic Covenant. He sends the man to the priest to present the offering, and at the end of that time, then you can be reconciled socially, and the shame is gone. But first, the shame has to be gone before God. And then secondly, can the shame be removed before men? And so you have the leper healed miraculously in full accord with Mosaic law. And by compassion, the man is restored as a worshiper and then as a part of the community. Is this a picture of evangelism? I'm not so sure. This Jewish leper was already in the covenant with God through the Mosaic Law. He was just out of fellowship with God. He was out of fellowship with God's people, which means that the natural application of this passage is to God's people. In other words, we who are fundamentally cleansed by Christ are still afflicted with leprosy and can have it take over us even as much as full-onset leprosy can. So therefore, we might take these words and take them very personally and see to it that we are invited to come to Christ and be cured of our leprosy. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, this would be the greatest need of our hearts, of our lives. For we who by nature cover and tell ourselves by all kinds of mechanisms that we're not sinning, Oh, how we need to know that we are lepers. And along with that, right alongside the very good truth of Jesus Christ, our leprosy does not define us. Rather, the cross of Jesus Christ defines us as forgiven, justified, and loved. So sanctify these dear and beloved saints today, O God, for Jesus' sake, amen.